Hello, and welcome to Tuesday Thanks, presented by Leeds Hospitality Group. I'm your host, Brian Proctor. Join me as we sit down to chat with yet another industry leader. Our guests come from a wide range of professions across the globe. We'll take the time to learn about their journey, where it started, and where they are today. We use this opportunity to allow the guests to thank an individual or individuals that played a key role in their career understand what they learned from the experience and how they have incorporated it into their own development and growth. Gratitude is strongly and consistently associated with greater happiness. Not only can it help your mental well-being, it can also improve your physical health. So join us as we share some great stories, thank a lot of wonderful people, and of course, share some laughs. Let's do this. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Tuesday's Thanks. Today, we continue our series highlighting industry-leading general managers, and I'm very excited to be joined by Mark Sanders, general manager of the New York Hilton Midtown Hotel. Located in the heart of Midtown, the Hilton boasts over 1,900 guest rooms and 49 meeting rooms, with a total of 150,000 square feet of meeting space. Mark, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us today. I really appreciate it. My pleasure, Brian. It's good to see you again. We haven't worked together for many years, but to have watched your career continue to blossom and grow. So I just knew I had to get you on here. Well, thank you. So listen, I'm going to start like I always do at the very beginning. I mean, you're a graduate of Wilkes University with a BS in business. How does one get into the hotel business growing up where you did in Long Island? Well, it's a long, sordid tale and one I would have never predicted, but back early on in my college career, I always wanted to work in personnel or labor relations, which is now a mixture of human resources and that whole discipline. And when I graduated from Wilkes, the economy was not at all robust and there were very few opportunities out there. And part of it, I was just in the right place, right time. There was an opportunity in personnel at the LaGuardia Marriott Hotel. So I started there uh, roughly 30 days after the hotel opened. Wow. That is, I'm going to try and be polite here. That is a tough hotel. Yes, it was. I didn't know any better. And it was a great learning opportunity for me, although I was too young and too naive to really comprehend the, the extent of it. So what was your title? Did you go in as what, a coordinator or a manager or? Oh, no, I, I went in as a, I think it was personnel coordinator. And I divvied up my time between screening and interviewing candidates and learning how to do payroll. There was an individual that actually uh, handled payroll and she was scheduled to go away every summer for a couple of months. And I had to immediately jump in and learn banquet payroll, which was a blessing in disguise that I learned that at such an early part of my career and do payroll for, I guess we had 300, 350 people at the hotel. And was it, I'm assuming it was unionized even at that early stage or no? No, it was not. Wow. Um, that was at the time the first non-union hotel to open up in New York City proper over the last 20 years. So 
it was kind of a big thing. Gave me some great exposure. And there are still staff members that I am in touch with today from that hotel. Really? Wow. Yeah. Well, you know, you kind of grew up together, right? And you go through the battles together and it kind of bonds you for life, as far as I remember, with some of the early ones that I know. Very much so. And so you went to school, you liked HR, or back then we called it personnel, and you worked your way up to director of HR at the Marriott Marquis eventually, right? I think in the HR field? Right. I had the opportunity. At that point, Marriott was a, I'll say a mid-sized company. They had about 80 hotels when I started. And at one point, I think they were opening up a hotel a week. So it was fast and furious and there were opportunities that surfaced. And my whole view of that was give me a couple of days to get my shirts cleaned and I would go anywhere, anytime. So I had the opportunity. I, I thought I was working in resorts. I worked at the LaGuardia Airport Marriott, the Newark Airport Marriott, the O'Hare Airport Marriott. I, <laughs> <laughs> you notice a trend there. Such a glamorous bunch of hotels. I know. And uh, I don't know if it was just opportunities that nobody else wanted to seize at the moment, but I, I had a number of uh, opportunities where I worked with some great people along the way and, and people that had been with Marriott from early days on. And long story short, after a number of moves, I was at the Marriott Marquis as the director of HR. Back in the day, we had just over 2,500 staff members at that hotel, and it was a wild ride. Great, great experience. Again, worked with some incredibly talented people, names that you would know. Dan Flattery, Mike Stengel, Tom Reese, Paul Ryan, just to go on and on and on. They were, they were some fabulous individuals. And I was the kid. I was the young guy. Uh, I don't know how that changed. I'm no longer the young guy sitting around the table. Yeah, I know the feeling. It's you know, it's, I'm going to go back to something you said earlier because it's kind of been a theme on the show this season. Is you mentioned you'd go anywhere, anytime, and mm -hmm. one of the things we and it started with episode one with Jeff Bellotti, and we talked about it with Susan Barry and a bunch of other people is how different it is now than it was then when we would just say yes to any job and we would move and pack up and go. And now in today's world, it's becoming a little tougher to have people transfer, forget within the city limits, but to get somebody to go cross coast or even into the Midwest or Midwest to the East Coast, it's getting even harder. Yet in our business, I still think that's the best way to learn because you get all these different types of hotels to work at resorts, airports, suburban, convention. I, I would agree with that. And, you know, one of the things that I try to give counsel on sometimes is take an opportunity. If an opportunity surfaces, the worst that could happen is you gamble on yourself and it's your own work ethic, your integrity, your willingness and ability to learn. And I think sometimes it's hard for younger folks to understand, but you get to a point, you could stand on your head for two years. And, you know, there are places that I've worked at and the cities I've been in that I would have never thought to move to that turned out to be just amazing and awesome. There were some other places I wouldn't necessarily go back, but a lot of that has to do with where you are with your personal life and, and whatnot. But great learning opportunities if a person affords him or herself the opportunity to move.
Yeah, I always felt if someone was silly enough to think I could do a job, then I owed it to them that I would go and try and do that. I mean, I ended up, and no offense, you know, I talk about my listener in Topeka, Kansas, but I ended up in Indianapolis for, God, seven years of which, you know, I never, you know, when I took the job, I had to look where it was on a map, for God's sake. I never thought I would have gone there, but, you know, it was a good place for the kids and it did my career very well. So now you're, you're the director of HR for this monster, the marquee, right? You've got 2,500 employees. And then if I remember correctly, in a very short time period, and by short time period, I'm talking like maybe four years, you go from being a director of HR to an area GM in New Orleans with Marriott. Do I have my timeline right? Is that correct? I became a regional HR VP guy with Marriott in between that. So I, I was based down in Dallas. I had a region or a territory that went as far north as Colorado and as far south, obviously, as Mexico. We went out west to Albuquerque and east to almost Nashville. So that is when all of the hotels were combined into a region. So they weren't separate regional teams for select service, limited service, full service. It was all rolled into one. We had a little over 230 hotels in the region. So I was going to places like Ponca City and Topeka and Tulsa and all sorts of places that I had never been to. And some of them were absolutely amazing. I I remember going to Oklahoma City and thinking, my gosh, this is a a great place. I could live here. So I did that. I was on the road nonstop for almost four years. And anybody that takes those regional roles, and you've been in some yourself, it is a commitment. It's a grind. And heavens today, with the way travel is with TSA and airlines and everything, it would almost be impossible to do that and, and really be a part of my family like I was back then. But I'm amazed how, like I said, in four years, you go from HR specialist, for, for lack of a better term, as a director, to being an area GM. I mean, how, who, who knocks on your door and says, okay, Mr. HR professional, how are you going to become a general manager now? Brian, I love you, but your math used to be better than it oh. is right now. It didn't happen as fast as you say it did. Oh, I thought it um, did. But that's okay. I had been in the HR capacity for 15 years, almost 16, and then moved into operations down in New Orleans and in a short period of time became a general manager and then the area general manager. I got you. Were you asking to go into operations or was someone nudging you saying, hey, I think you'd be really good to continue your career progression into that? That's a a great question to ask. And I, I had worked for an individual down in Dallas who was an icon in the business. And he was getting set to retire. And he said, you know, Mark, we have an opportunity and I'd like to know what you'd like to do. So I was full of energy and brashness and I said, I'd like to be a general manager. And I had the opportunity to go to a couple of different places. One was El Paso, Texas, and the other was down in New Orleans. But to go down to New Orleans as in theory, a number two. And mm-hmm. I had known the, the general manager down there for a good number of years. His name is Steve Sharple, who was amazing. And I went down and spoke with Steve and he took me under his wing and taught me as much as he could in a limited time. And uh, 
he was promoted on and, and the opportunity became available for me to grow into the GM role. Now, on the personal side, are you married at this point? Oh, yes. So how was it moving? Because I'm always fascinated with the partnership between spouses or partners, how that goes. Like, did, did she know going into this that this was going to be a nomadic lifestyle for a little bit with all the moves or yes she did over the years i've moved 10 times i've owned eight homes and once we had children life slowed down a little bit and i'm grateful she's a great mom and we've got two great great kids so it's worked very very well for us so marriott you have a long career that we could probably just talk solely about but i you've done so much more because you know, I think if my, again, my math is not very good today, apparently, but I think you started somewhere in the 80s with Marriott and you moved on to the Millennium Broadway Hotel in 07, I believe. Yep. So You're pretty what, good there. what prompts the move from the mothership of all motherships in our business to tackle the Broadway Hotel with Millennium? Is that trying to get back to New York, to your roots, or what happened there? Part of it. I, I'd been down in New Orleans for, at that point, nine plus years, and it was time for me to leave. And it was, you know, I lived there through Katrina, after Katrina, and it was never quite the same. My, my kids were getting a little older, and we had to make some decisions on education. And it was an opportunity for me to say, I, I've got my 25 years. I'm grateful for what Marriott had given me, which was a, a, an awesome foundation. And an opportunity became available up here in New York, where I got to run four hotels, three of them in New York City and one in Buffalo. And it was because of my HR background and, and some of the labor components that I had been exposed to, an opportunity for me to come into Times Square and have a little fun. So I managed three whole hotels directly based out of one. And I was an asset manager, a fourth hotel. So how many rooms would you say approximately you're overseeing with Millennium then? Because you've always been a big, big property kind of guy that, since I've known you. Yeah, it was probably close to, I don't know, 2,200. Yeah. Now I'd have to do the math on that. So. <laughs> no, I don't want, I don't want to pressure you. The, so you're there for a couple of years, right? And then this position at Starwood opens up. Did we come looking when I say we, cause we both worked at Starwood, but did we come looking for you or were you looking for something new or how did that all come about? Cause you were at the mothership hotel. Yeah. The ownership group for Starwood at the, shared in New York was host hotels and they had owned the New Orleans Marriott. So all of the people within host and myself, we all knew each other and it was an opportunity. There, there was a gentleman by the name of Dan King who was leaving New York and Dan and I worked together as competitors down in New Orleans. He was at the Sheridan New Orleans and I was at the Marriott right across the street. And Dan called me up and said, hey, what do you think? And the next thing you know, we had an asset manager in common. And that's how that conversation went. And I went and met with several individuals, including Bob Hermony, who is a, a name in, in our industry that is quite accomplished. And everybody was on the same page. So it was an opportunity for me to join 
the Sheridan, New York, 1,780 rooms, about 50,000 square feet, but certainly a big box, fully organized. And uh, it was one of those things, you know, right time, right place. And I say that with all due respect to any place I've worked to before or, or after. You know, some of these opportunities, they just come along and you can look back at it and say, my gosh, I was fortunate to be where I was at that moment in time. Yeah, no, I, I feel that way about when I went from being the GM of that Sheraton Weston thing in Indy to getting on the New Builds team. It's, I still don't know exactly why they selected me to do that, but it created the next 10 best years of my life and work as far as I'm concerned. But so was Dan King at the Sheraton before you? I don't recall him being there. Dan was the general manager at the Sheraton New York for a time period before I had arrived. And Dan was very good. I'll tell you a funny story. When, when I was down in New Orleans and Dan was across the street at the Sheraton New Orleans, I had received a phone call from host and they'd asked me if, I had known Dan, they were doing a reference check. And I said, well, folks, my recommendation would be to get him out of New Orleans because he is a formidable competitor. And the best thing you can do is take him out of my market. <laughs> so Dan and I used to laugh at that. I said, I, I hope to get, get you out of there. And then I ended up following you. So Yeah. I mean, obviously Dan's a great guy. I remember working with him. I just, for life of me, I guess my memory's going, I didn't recall him being at that Sheraton. Yeah. But- because you had both the Sheraton Midtown or whatever they called it and the one across the street, right? The Sheraton Manhattan. Yep, the Manhattan at Times Square and the, the Sheraton New York. So combined, was it 2,400 rooms or so? And uh, had that until the Manhattan was sold off and then stayed at the, the Sheraton New York until I then ran into this guy by the name of Dave Milas and uh, Brian Crocker. <laughs> Well, we'll we'll get into that mess in a minute. But so for for those of you who don't know Starwood that well, the Sheraton New York was like the epicenter of every major monster corporate event you had. I mean, there was one event I remember, I think it was during your tenure, you had like several presidents because you guys handled the Clinton stuff, right? The Clinton Global Initiative, which I am thankful is now over here at the Hilton. Oh, wow. Midtown, so yes, CGI as we affectionately called it, which was big and still in its growing stages at that point in time, a marquee event opportunity. Yeah, yeah. I always used to remember what was your director of security's name? Tell the jury, Kevin. Yes, Kevin, really super guy, and man, he had yeah, some man. stories from your property. Mm-hmm. Well, there's stories on every property, but Kevin had a way of telling That's a story. That's true. But that, when you're in uh, New York and you have certainly. presidents and you have everything, they're just bigger. Uh, yeah. All right. So let's end your tenure in New York there for a second, because you're obviously back there. And as you said, you got to meet Dave Milas, who was somebody who created my career for me, I think. And you were convinced to go to Dallas, Texas. Mm-hmm. And at the Sheraton Dallas, which I should remember how many rooms it is, but I can't. <laughs> 1,841. It seemed like 5,000 to me. <laughs> yeah. Some days it seemed like 10,000. <laughs> oh, this was, a, this was a building. And on an earlier season, Rob Klein was on the show. Yep. And, and Rob is, nice. you know, co-founder of Charters with, with the gang there. And they own the property. And they, I thought they did a nice job 
you know, converting it from the Adams Mark. But man, that was a challenging hotel. Yeah, moments of greatness and moments of just trying struggles there. I think a lot of it had to do with it was just so big and it had 230,000 square feet of meeting space. And, you know, so it was a mini convention center in downtown Dallas. And downtown Dallas today is vastly improved over what it was back in the day. And we spent a lot of time with the, the folks on the Convention Visitors Bureau, Brad Kent down there, a great business partner and a steward for the city. But yes, that was a big hotel and not an easy hotel. It's been renovated now, it's beautiful. And Rob Klein and the team really did a great job of that. With Goldman Sachs, they, they were the primary principal owner. Yeah, I mean, remember they had an entire tower, right? I think that we had yeah. put Southwest in there. Yeah, there, the building, for those who don't know, it was three towers. And the initial building was a tower of, I want to say, 450, 480 rooms. And we had landed this business opportunity. And there's a guy by the name of Dave Swift, who you know. And, and Dave is back in Dallas now. Dave cobbled together a promotion, a sales opportunity where we went out and wooed Southwest Airlines. And Southwest Airlines was prepping and, and really poised to make a big move because the right amendment was scheduled to expire, which would change Southwest Airlines from a, a regional provider to a nationwide provider. It used to be where you had to stop at least one or two stops before you could get to your destination. And all of a sudden, the, the organization of Southwest exploded in size. And they've been obviously beat up a little bit over the, the past couple of months here, but they were hot and heavy bringing new recruits in and we sold out the hotel. Seven days a week, 365 days a year, multi-year contract. And it was a great opportunity at the right time. And yeah. you know, it, it helped take the edge off that hotel. It shrunk our inventory. And I remember you guys even had a pilot's lounge, was all decked out mm -hmm. in Southwest colors. What I always found interesting, and I guess it's looking back, it's one of those funny moments to me anyways, and probably the person in Topeka, Kansas listening. But so if you think about the recent challenges that they had with the weather and the lack of technology and all that kind of stuff, I'll never forget walking into that pilot's lounge and there was that three cardboard cutout fake cockpit. And I said, what the heck is that? I said, oh, that's where, you know, we train our pilots type of thing. And I'm, you know, I look back now knowing it was a joke, but now I look back at the recent problems, like, oh my God, I just cried laughing when I heard that again. Well, and, and Southwest had some amazing people there. We spent time on their camp, certainly trying to better understand their business and what they were doing and that, that little cardboard cutout that they had, which for the folks listening right now, it's hard to understand. It had a seat in it and the, and the whole deal, but they calculate the glide slope, which is the estimate of how long you need to start the landing procedure in order to land safely, so on and so forth. And we, we sat up there and it's like, okay, there's a bucket of cocktails or beer over there. And there's, some snacks over there and this is how you're reviewing the day's learnings and apparently very effective yes very, very good business partner they, they were great for that property yeah. it really to your point i mean you know you 
in our industry, you always talk about finding a piece of base business, but that was beyond base business. That mm -hmm. was, you know, saving. I really feel strongly that that probably saved that asset for a good amount of time until the market, the city could catch up with the amount of rooms there and the amount of business that needed. Exactly. Yes. So kudos to Mr. Swift. Did I read that Mr. Swift is actually back at that same hotel or is he at another property in Dallas? Do you know? Yes, he is. Dave had left and headed out to the Houston Marriott Marquis and did that for a number of years and then returned back to the Sheridan. Dave's a big deal in, in Dallas, Texas and uh, quite successful no matter where he's been, but he was an excellent business partner on our leadership team there. Yeah, no, that's cool. I, I should reach out to him yeah. next time I'm out there. So, all right. So you and I, for the listener in Topeka, Kansas, you and I worked together in Dallas on that project and that was fun. And that's where we got to know each other. And I'm surprised you still talk to me, but that's okay. You're here. So that's a, that's a good sign. And then as all things do, Shirt in Dallas came to an end and lo and behold, I know it's hard to believe, but we found you back in New York. <laughs> right. Right. New York is home for me. And an opportunity came up in my personal life where I found myself going back to New York. In between Dallas and New York, I was out in Scottsdale and Brian had played enough golf with me for all you listeners out there. And Brian actually is a pretty darn good golfer and the Canadian in him, the man can hit a ball and you look at him and he doesn't look like much, but he's actually a very good golfer. <laughs> I'm watching him now. People can't see this video, but I see Brian's reaction. And well, I think he took his breath away. A little story about my golf game. I just got back. <clears throat> see, I was choking up because I was laughing at myself. <laughs> I just got back from a week of golf out in Scottsdale. And the buddies I was playing with filmed my swing, which is the world's worst swing. And I always knew I didn't take it back far. But I've got the biggest slap shot of a hockey swing yes, for a golf swing now. It's very unique. <laughs> but, you know, it, it seems to be working. But it's it's funny. My, yeah, my golf game is not good. But well, enough I went out and played golf for about six months out in Scottsdale after I left Dallas. And I, I finally realized I wasn't ever going to be very good at this game. And I needed to, to find something else to do as a, a young man. So I moved back to New York. And lo and behold, a group that I had known for many years and had spoken to over the years a number of times, there was a gentleman by the name of Robert Lafferty who worked for Highgate Hotels. And he said, Mark, we would really love you to come and join us. And I went and spoke to Hamoud Kimji and a couple of other folks, and then ended up taking over the Crown Plaza Times Square, which was an 800-room hotel in the heart of Times Square. And I did that at the end of 18, 2019, had one of the best years the hotel ever had. And then lo and behold, the pandemic came. And that was a disappointing end to that. I had stayed on for quite a number of months until I finally said, I'm the only guy coming in on the railroad. I'm the only person walking down Broadway. It's time for me to step off. And, and that's what happened. And I did that and then ended up here at the New York Hilton Midtown. So a couple of questions about the pandemic in New York City and hotels. So did you guys ever close or were you open and what kind of occupancies would you have been running if you're, if you're okay to talk about that? The hotel that I was at, we actually closed in March of 2020. And at, at that point, the bottom had fallen out. So the hotel 
actually closed. There's been a transition in ownership. So that hotel was a bit of a distressed asset just in terms of the financials and, and, and the ability to make it work. The product itself is actually in very good shape. But that hotel, it really took a, a beating and went through the ringer and just recently opened here before the new year. So they opened up, I believe, in November of last year. Yeah, it's um, just hard to picture what New York was like during the pandemic for you guys that were still working through it, right? Because as you said, you're probably the only guy in the train coming in from Long Island. Yes, yes. There were times where you walked down from Penn Station or Penn Station to Midtown and see nobody on the street. And that's hard to believe for anybody that's ever worked in New York where you could see as you're walking down Broadway straight through to Central Park and see a smattering five, six people, you know, very little vehicle traffic, an eerie time and a very sobering time for our country, the world, certainly business. And some of that still has a ripple effect throughout our industry without a doubt. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I can't even imagine what it was like. I mean, I remember after 9-11, I was on a plane the first day we were allowed to fly <clears throat> and I was connecting through Atlanta. And it was funny because there was like eight of us on the plane, you know, 727 or 737 or whatever it was. Sure. And the pilot had the doors open. He kind of looked back and he said, you guys can sit anywhere you want because it's just the seven of you. So if you all want to sit in first class, go ahead. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> so we flew into Atlanta and I'll never forget getting off the plane in Hartsfield, which world's busiest airport, ghost town. That was so eerie that it yeah. spooked me walking through there. There was the seven of us and a couple other people get, you know, and it was just weird. So I can't even imagine New York during that time. Well, and I had lived down in New Orleans during Katrina in mm -hmm. 2005. And it was as eerie and as sad and sober in a place as one could be. I lived through Hurricane Sandy up here in 2012, and then the pandemic, like nothing we could have ever prepared for or even imagined. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, all right, enough of the depressing stuff. Let's talk about the great yeah. stuff. You you start as the GM in June of last year, I think? Correct. And how's that going? What's going on with the property? What's it like to be back in the, the swing of the big boys in New York? It is great to be back in a big box. This hotel has some incredible talent. And I've been fortunate to jump on. I say it's jumping on a moving train right now. It's high profile. We've got quite a bit of rooms, quite a, a large number of square foot available. And uh, we are building it back better, so to speak. And our goal right now is to surpass where the hotel was in 2019. And I remember, and, and you'll laugh about this, Brian, in one of our properties together, we did 10 million in a month. And I was like over the top with it. I think I, I sent you a gross revenue report. Yep, I remember that. $10 million. And, you know, because that was a notable achievement. And, and here it's almost triple that. And welcome to the Big Apple. Yeah. yeah, no. I remember specifically when you sent me that 10 million, because that was a big monster deal of getting to that number. So do you guys in the city feel like you're back now? I mean, I know everybody is starting to compare everything to 2019 figures. So are you 
feeling like you're on the track to now start moving forward rather than comparing to 19 or? A little bit of both. I think one of the big misses for New York City still at this point is international business is way off. Mm -hmm. Obviously, from the Asian market, we are still a far cry from where we've been. So we have some opportunities with that. There are meetings. We've got a, a huge program in with us this week, and it's their first time getting together since 2020. Wow. And I, I shouldn't say the name, so I'm not going no. to, but it's their global leadership meeting. And when they sat there, and we, we did our, our pre-event on Sunday, yesterday, saying they haven't been together as a team since 2020, you sit there and go, oh my gosh, that seems so long ago, but it's... You know, some days it's a long time ago and some days it's not. Yeah. Well, I'm sure you're excited to be back in the big city and you're in, you know, a great location. I used to stay at that hotel all the time when I, this sounds weird. When I was with Starwood, I used to stay at the New York Hilton because I was building hotels all across the country and we didn't have hotels. So I was like a Hilton diamond member and I would, <laughs> I would stay at all these Hilton garden inns and Hampton inns around the country building our hotels. And then I would use my points to take my wife into New York. And we'd always stay at your place because it was cheaper to go to the Hilton than to stay at one of ours <laughs> on my points. Very scary, but enough, enough of that. So listen, it is Tuesday after all. And so what I'm going to do now is you've mentioned a couple of people during your your journey here, but I'm going to hand the mic back over to you and let you thank some folks who have helped you along the way. So it's all yours, young man. Well, people that have helped me along the way, I, I've been amazingly fortunate. There have been a number of people, almost, you know, you know, a handful of people in almost every location I'd ever been. But, you know, a sense of gratitude, first and foremost, to my they uh, have been amazing and always up for a new adventure. And, you know, as kids get older, that's not always as easy. And I'm pleased to say that they, they've turned out to be amazingly well-balanced, smart, and I think all of that is from my wife's side, so <laughs> we're happy for that. But some people along the way always run the risk of, of leaving people out, and I know I will. Tom Reese, rest in peace, general manager at the Marriott Marquis, you know, one of the original wise guys. Tom was born in the, the burbs of Philly, and he was as smart as one could believe. And he was tough as nails until you got to know him, and then he had a heart of gold, and he'd give you the shirt off his back and yeah. he was pretty remarkable because he opened that hotel the Marriott Marquis and you know I'm sure was hand selected for that and would have been I'm sure successful any other place he'd ever been he was amazing to be with the other one is Steve Sharple and another individual who is and for those who know him out there will we'll chuckle Steve was a peculiar man in his own right but incredibly smart Steve worked really hard and made it look easy. And he was incredibly patient. You have to remember my exposure with and experience with Steve was moving into operations. And he tolerated about a, a hundred questions a day. And he let me sort of bump my elbows and scrape my knees a little bit as I learned and made some mistakes where he could have immediately jumped in, but he was pretty remarkable. Another in the individual that I came into contact with while my time was in New Orleans was a non-hotel guy, but 
he ran the Convention Visitors Bureau, a guy by the name of Stephen Perry, an incredibly gracious individual, one of the smartest people I ever met. And he just retired, but Stephen was a, an outstanding ambassador for the city. And if you look at a salesperson and, and a representative, he prepared for it tirelessly. He, he never took anything for granted. And um, he, he was just a tireless worker for the city of New Orleans and, and a loss to have him step out of it. But over the years, I, I spent time with Bill Marriott, uh, Fritz Van Passion, you, you know, Rob Klein spent quite a bit of time with, a little bit of exposure with Chris Nacetta and now back in his world. So uh, I'm looking forward to connecting with him again. But the, the list goes on and on and on. And I, I can never say thank you enough because it, it's been pretty amazing. Yeah, I mean, you've had an amazing run because you're a good hard worker, a good person. And the other thing too with your career that is very cool if you take the time to sit back and look at it is because of the properties you were at, right? You weren't at the Colonial Inn in La Jolla or the Sheraton in Indianapolis. You've been at monster properties that are so important to the brand that you're working for. Just the fact that you can say Bill Marriott, Fritz Van Passion, Chris Nacetta, Rob Klein, these are industry gurus that you've dealt with personally over the years. That's pretty incredible when you sit back and think about it. It is pretty incredible. I'm just Mark, you know, and, and I've always had fun saying that. I, I came from humble beginnings. I'm one of six kids and I was never given anything. So you just worked and going to work was the easiest thing. And if it was a 10 hour day or a 14 hour day, you just did it. And, uh, you know, it, over the years, some of those names, though, you don't realize just how hard those individuals work and that they're incredibly bright in, on their own right. But it's always been fun. I was at the Sheridan, New York, I think 30 days. And Fritz Van Passion was the CEO. And they used to have this meeting within Starwood. It was the L100 or the L300. Yep. So it's about 100 or 300 leaders within the organization. And I got a call to go up to the ballroom. And I went up to the ballroom and Fritz was in there with another individual who was the director of communications. And we are the only three in the ballroom. And he was practicing his presentation for that night. So he said, well, Mark, please have a seat. We would listen in. So I'm sitting there going, why am I in here? <laughs> I better pay attention. Because yeah. uh, he's going to ask me some questions that, that uh, I'm brand new. I, I don't even know where the men's room is in this place. And he got done doing it. And the communications director worked him over saying, oh, don't say this, use this word. Don't say that. You have to go back, redo this. That's a great point. And I was absolutely amazed and floored by that. So he gets finished with it. And he says, so Mark, what did you think? So this is one of those things. I mean, you've spent enough time with me. I'm either going to be a cerebral response or I'm going to be like the jokester. I, I better have something good here. Yeah. And I, I stepped back and really heartfelt said, I, I am amazed and impressed at how hard you work on the messaging and communicating the points that you want to get across from your expectations, from your thanks and gratitude uh, to the year that's out in front of everybody. As, as I was just amazed by how hard he worked to do that. Yeah. And that's just one of those fly on the wall 
experiences that you sit back later and go, oh my gosh, that guy was a big deal. Yeah, no, very big deal. That is very cool. What a great story. And and again, it just speaks to the properties that you've had the great fortune to lead, right? Because again, you're mm -hmm. only gaining that exposure because you're at such a, a stalwart property and a phenomenal asset in a great city. So, well, listen, I know how busy you are. I know you've got a hotel full of first time meters since 20. So I'll let you get back to work. But I want to thank you so much for taking the time today to share the journey and provide some thanks. So I can't thank you enough. And I'll end like I always do people. If it's Tuesday, let's get out there and thank some folks. They're going to love it and you're going to feel pretty good doing it. So Mark, great to see you. I'm going to come into the city and knock on your door and see if you let me in the building. <laughs> Well, if you're a Diamond member, we'll take care of you. Well, I'm no longer a Diamond member, but I was. I don't know if that counts. But so all kidding aside, listen, thanks so much. Have a great afternoon and I look forward to seeing you soon. My pleasure, Brian. Appreciate being on the program. Hope you enjoyed the show today. And thanks so much for tuning in. We really appreciate it. If you would like to be a guest on the show so that you can thank someone for their role in your career, please reach out to me via our Tuesday Thanks website at www.tuesdaysthanks.com. Remember, a sincere thank you goes a long way to making someone feel appreciated and can make their day. So until next time, be well, be safe, and please don't be afraid to tell someone thanks. Chat soon.